Hi, this is Chris Westfall, and this is the Financial Executive Podcast. This podcast is the first in a series of discussions that we are conducting for our FEI-engaged subscribers with the goal of offering access to senior auditing, accounting, and preparer professionals and academics to get their thoughts on the biggest issues facing students and early career professionals entering the industry. In this inaugural Engage 101 podcast, we look at China. Over the past 20 years, the rise of China in the global economic order has astounded economists. That has translated into an influx of Chinese companies looking to tap the U.S. capital markets. As a result, there has been a debate going on between global regulators about the audit standards that China-based companies should be held to when they access U.S. equity markets. We speak with Professor Paul Gillis of Peking University in China. Professor Gillis started out at Price Warehouse and led their entrance into China before retiring in 2004 and entering academics. We talk with Professor Gillis about how the audit industry in China has changed and what he expects for the future. Maybe we could get a little bit about your background and, and um, how you ended up to come to China. Yeah, I've been in China for 25 years. I came here with uh, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, the accounting firm, and uh, mm. it was Pricewaterhouse at the time. And uh, I came here because uh, Pricewaterhouse thought that uh, China was likely to become the next big thing. Uh, <laughs> we had about uh, about 500 people in the country at the time uh, when I came here, and the uh, U.S. firm was looking after uh, China. The British firm was looking after Russia, and each of the big four firms were operating much that way. Either one, either the the UK firm would take one of them, uh, and the uh, US firm would take the other one and and look after it. So they were tra- they transferred some partners in from the US to to lead the uh, development of the market, and they were right, of course, that. Uh, this was the next big market. That 500 people that we had in uh, when I came in 1997 is about 25,000 today. Wow. Uh, so the uh, it was a huge market, and uh, and it, it's likely to continue to be a huge market for them. Uh, so I was with PwC until uh, 2004, and then I retired, and I I went back to school. I I got a PhD in Australia. And uh, during that process, I joined Peking University uh, as a professor, and I've been teaching there since 2007. And uh, have uh, uh, I'll be retiring actually a little later this year uh, okay. from, from PwC or from uh, from Peking University, uh, and then uh, moving on to a third stage of life. So it's been an interesting time to be in China. I, I think it was probably like being in the United States during the Industrial Revolution. You know, everything (laughs) changed so fast uh, here. It was just remarkable to see the changes that have taken place in the last 25 years in China. Yeah, and and, um, certainly I can imagine, you know, especially from the perspective of sort of the audit perspective. I mean, it's it's gone through a lot of back and forth between the US and and um, and China especially as you know the capital markets have developed 
what I did was when I when I went back to school and got a PhD, I, I did my my research focused on the uh, development of the big four in China and transnational regulation of accounting. And mm. uh, what I focused on was the the issue that the uh, uh, the capital markets in China were developing in a way uh, that really couldn't be regulated and that neither mm. uh, the U.S. or China could really effectively regulate uh, the uh, uh, the private sector that was developing in China because it was listing overseas. Uh, Chinese regulations weren't suited to uh, to regulate it and weren't able to. And the U.S. was unable to regulate it effectively. And I predicted that that would cause a lot of problems and probably lead to a lot of fraud. Uh, mm. I finished my Ph.D. and that all came true. <laughs> and uh, so I was sought out by uh, uh, by many uh, investors, uh, both with uh, hedge funds and as well as the PCOB. Uh, PCOB asked me to serve on their standing advisory group. Uh, and I did that for a couple of years, which was interesting mm-hmm. to help help them navigate some of the terrain around China. And, uh, you know, so I've been intimately involved in a lot of these uh, disputes between the United States and China over securities regulation for the last uh, last decade or more. So, yeah, that's what I want to get to is, is, um, and then I'd rather go like from, um, big to small. So I want to get your perspective on, um, the audit process in China and why has that been such a bone of contention between us investors and Chinese regulators and, and the, you know, the U I guess the U S approach to auditing, how come, how come that has become such a, a, a bone of contention? Well, one of the reasons is that the China's private sector and the private sector is now dominant in China. It, it creates most of the jobs and has most of the uh, uh, mo- most of the revenue uh, in China. It it uh, it overtook the state sector. If we go back uh, thirty years, basically everything was uh, uh, was controlled by the state. And then the when the private sector developed, it was unable to raise capital in China. Uh, there were barriers to that. Some of them were real. Some were just more uh, customary that the state-owned enterprises were favored over the uh, uh, public enterprises. So the, so many of these companies chose to go to the U.S. Uh, to raise capital um, because the U.S. at the time that, that these chi- private Chinese companies were booming was dot-com 1.0 when the U.S. stock market went crazy uh, back around 2000. And uh, NASDAQ hit 5,000, which it uh, dropped back and didn't recover to that for many years later. Uh, the, uh, uh, it was the best place to raise capital. And uh, mm. U.S. investors seem to have a great appetite for, for private Chinese stocks. So the U.S. became the preferred destination for the private sector. You know, the private sector used the U.S. capital markets quite extensively. In fact, there's only two countries in the world which use the U.S. capital markets this extensively. And that is China and Israel. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, uh, one of the things that happened was around the time that these Chinese companies were developing uh, and using the U.S. capital markets, the uh, uh, Enron blew up. Right. And when Enron blew up, uh, the Sarbanes-Oxley came around as a, as a fix for that. And one of the perceptions was that self-regulation of the accounting profession didn't work uh, right. very well. 
So the PCOB, PCAOB, the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, was created uh, basically to take over the regulation of the accounting profession from the profession itself. Um, and the PCOB was really given three tasks. One, it was to uh, uh, create the rules for how companies ought to be audited. Uh, secondly, it was to inspect the accounting firms to make sure they're following those rules. And then third, it was to investigate and, and uh, discipline any uh, anyone who didn't follow the rules. Uh, the uh, uh, consequence of that was that the uh, uh, that the inspections have become the most important function of the PCOB, right. and uh, they've been a really tough regulator that way. They're they're not very popular by by uh, the the auditors because they're viewed to be too tough. They they in the early years they failed about half of the audits that they looked at. Uh, they would find them deficient. Uh, in, in terms of how the audits were done. And so they've not been a very popular regulator. Um, they, uh, uh, what, uh, when they tried, they're, they're in they have to inspect every accounting firm at least mm -hmm. every three years. The largest firms are, are inspected every year, uh, but all the largest firms are some of the big U.S. firms. Uh, right. The China... China and, and, and something like 50 accounting firms in China registered with the PCOB, although most of them don't do any audits. Uh, they, uh, uh, the, the big four does most of the public company audits in China, but they do mm. them through the member firm in China, which is owned by the local Chinese, not owned by the U.S. firm or any international firm. It's, right. it's more like a franchise operation, uh, the way they are, they are organized. Um, and so what the PCOB was supposed to inspect those firms every three years. And in the early 2000s, when they first tried to come to China to do inspections, uh, they were told that uh, they could not come to China uh, for uh, two, two main reasons. One is that allowing a foreign regulator uh, to enforce foreign law against Chinese uh, nationals on Chinese soil would would impinge upon China's national sovereignty, mm -hmm. a somewhat understandable question issue. And then secondly, that uh, the audit work papers might contain state secrets uh, right. that they want to have disclosed to to foreigners. Uh, I don't think audit work papers contain very many state secrets. I've been give, shown some examples of where they have. Uh, but in the cases where state secrets have been included in audit work papers, they probably didn't need to be there uh, to right. support the audit work. It probably could have been left out to begin with. At any rate, so the, the PCLB was blocked from coming to China. Now, it was blocked from coming to a lot of countries initially. Most mm. of Europe said you can't come here either because of data privacy laws and other, other reasons. Uh, but slowly but surely, the PCLB has knocked down all the objectors. Mm. Uh, to the point where now only China is a holdout. Uh, and China's a holdout with respect to mainland China and also with respect to Hong Kong, to the extent that the audit in Hong Kong has any uh, uh, any activities in China, which, which all of them do. Uh, so there haven't been any inspections in either China or Hong Kong uh, because of, the, uh, uh, of China's position on this. Uh, now they've tried to negotiate this for 20 years uh, unsuccessfully so far. Uh, they, they've tried uh, some pilot investigations. They've reached some interim agreements on uh, 
uh, on providing documents in connection with investigations and disciplinary actions. But uh, the U.S. has been pretty firm that uh, it does not get the information it needs. Now, eventually, Congress jumped into the act. And right. uh, the Trump administration, the uh, Congress passed the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act. And what the Foreign Holding, Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act says is basically that no company uh, can trade on U.S. exchanges if its auditor uh, cannot be inspected by the PCOB. Now, that applies only to China at present because every other country has agreed to uh, uh, allowing inspections in some form or another. Uh, but China is still a holdout. And they've been negotiating this very hard now for the last year as right. this comes up. And you basically have to be audited for three years after the date of enactment. This got enacted in December of 2020. Uh, and so for three, year, three years after the date of enactment, if you are audited by a a, by a CPA firm that cannot be inspected, uh, then you will be suspended from trading. We've just finished the first year under that, and companies are filing annual reports, uh, including the re audit report of an auditor that cannot be inspected. Uh, the SEC is now announcing those companies as they file and, uh, and announcing that they are on, the, they basically have strike one. And, right. uh, they file again next year using an auditor that can't be inspected. They'll get strike two. And then when they file their 2023 reports uh, early in 2024, uh, they would get strike three and then be stricken from the uh, from the U.S. market, both mm -hmm. the exchanges and the over-the-counter markets. Uh, and so China's kind of freaked out about that right now. The stocks have been highly volatile when this kind of news comes. Uh, they've tended to... Uh, uh, they've taken a pretty serious beating over the last year uh, as these deadline keeps looming. Uh, but I expect they'll eventually reach a settlement of some sort. Um, but uh, uh, right now it is uh, it's quite uh, uh, quite tense. There's been some reports that there has been a compromise made. Um, have you heard anything about that? And what do you think about some of those reports and some the details in the proposals? There were reports that came out that said that, that they were working on a solution and they thought they would be able to reach something. Then we've had in the in the past few days, both the uh, PCOB and the SEC have come out and said no. Gary Gensler just yesterday came out and said that uh, uh, that he wasn't sure whether they'd be able to reach a deal or not. Uh, PCOB hmm. said that if there is a deal, it's really only uh, it's only provisional. Uh, and we'll have to see whether or not they follow it before we can really say that the problem has gone away. So just making a deal won't do it. China has indicated that it just takes good faith on both sides to reach a deal. And I think China really wants to make a deal. Now, China has told its companies to get ready uh, for uh, ultimate disclosures. It, it's indicated that some companies might be required to spin off some of their operations in order to uh, uh, to allow for inspections. It has told at least one company uh, that, that is DD that listed in the U.S. that it has to give up its U.S. stock listing. And I expect mm -hmm. there may be some more of those. What do you think is, um, when you get under the hood of the, of the um, issue of audit reports and, and, and state secrets, and is what aspects of the audit 
are you, are the biggest hang up in, in finding a compromise on this from your perspective? I, you know, I, it's really hard to say exactly what the, uh, you know, the, the audit work papers don't tend to include anything that's particularly interesting from a state secret standpoint. You know, mm-hmm. China's China's been saying they're very concerned that companies like Didi, which is the Uber of China, uh, you know, that the right information there could be useful to uh, uh, to the CIA to track the movements uh, around uh, Chinese military bases. Well, that kind mm-hmm. of data is not available in the audit work papers. Uh, they're right. not interested in that kind of thing. Uh, executive compensation is, of course, maybe sensitive, but it, it's publicly disclosed in most cases. Anything that's in the audit work papers uh, shouldn't be much of a problem. Uh, so I don't think there's likely very much in audit work papers that's really a state secret. I think that's somewhat of a red herring. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and just from your perspective, why do you think there is a discussion of a compromise now? Is just because you're already into the first strike, second strike? Um, yeah, I think I think that I think China. There was uh, there was in one of the Chinese papers today. They said that they quoted one of the Chinese regulators who said they thought they had a lot of time. And then mm-hmm. when they uh, in the last few weeks, uh, the stocks were pretty badly hammered when the li- the SEC came out with a list of the first five companies that got strike one. Um, what I think a lot of investors didn't understand was it wasn't those five companies. It was really just the first five companies that had filed their annual reports uh, that the SEC had reported on. And that, uh, you know, as everybody else files their annual reports, they'll be done. Uh, most of the companies that filed early were filing uh, as domestic filers. So their 10K was due earlier uh, than the 20F that most of the uh, Chinese companies file. Uh, the Form 20F isn't due until May 2nd this year. What, what what impact will this have on specifically for U.S. companies with Chinese operations, or does it does it you mean um, not necessarily you know China-based companies, but U.S. companies with you know uh, operations in China? Does this affect them at all? It, it should not have any effect on those companies at all because. Uh, uh, they are uh, one. Of the, none of them would fall under the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act uh, because mm. they they are using. Uh, they're almost all using. All the multinationals are using a U.S. based auditor. Uh, mm. Now that for for the China operations, the China operations are audited by uh, the China member firm usually. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's not generally referred to even in the audit opinion, even though it could be referred to in the audit opinion. It's usually not referred to. They usually just assume responsibility for it. Now, if the uh, uh, if the China member firm does a significant portion of the audit, then it has to be uh, registered with the PCOB. And uh, all of the big four and uh, quite a large number of the local firms are registered with the PCOB. Uh, so they're allowed to be used on a significant portion of the work. But there's probably only a handful of companies uh, where the uh, China operations are so material uh, that they would even have to be reported. They would even have to be subject to that rule. Most of them are, are pretty insignificant and, mm-hmm. and no auditor uh Really, uh, uh, the Chinese auditor is far less than ten percent of the uh, of the total company. What do you think the biggest hurdle is to overcome between the U.S. and China when it comes to the a compromise in the audit process? Is there one specific 
um, approach or, I think or a lot is it testing it, or? I think the, you know, from my view, the Chinese came forth with an offer uh, sometime back. They made an offer basically to allow for inspections, but they want the right to basically know who they're going to inspect and the right to look at, to examine the work papers before they're inspected and make sure that there are no uh, secrets that they don't want disclosed and then have those redacted if necessary. Uh, PCOB said, no, you can't. We, we will not discuss with you who we're going to uh, inspect and we're not going to let you uh, redact information. Uh, that's probably an unreasonable position. I think there's there's some there's a reason why China might want to prevent the PCOB from looking at s- certain Chinese companies, but there mm. really needed to be a consequence for that. Rather than just mm. saying no, it should have been okay, fine. If you don't want to let us look at, say, the big state oil company PetroChina, uh, that's fine. But then PetroChina can't be listed in the United States. Mm. Um, they never made that kind of counteroffer. And I think a, a deal could be done along those lines that if you uh, that you will give you some rights to veto inspections of specific uh, companies audits. But if you do that, the consequence is that company must delist. And mm. uh, and I think that would be a, a reasonable compromise on both sides. Um, the. Uh, you know, the, the SEC says that basically the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act holds their hand. They don't have much latitude for uh, uh, to to make a deal, but I think they can. The PCOB has made quite a few compromises uh, with respect to other countries. Uh, in many of their other deals that they've made with other countries, they've agreed uh, to either doing joint inspections uh, where they go in together and I've been told by people at the PCOB that quite often, even though the agreement may provide for joint inspections, the the, uh, the local regulator doesn't even show up uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, to do what they're doing. Do you think, um, uh, you know, this is, like you said, you know, this debate is going on for 20 years. Uh, you know, the, um, <clears throat> the past years or ever since the legislation has, has, has uh accelerated, you know, the debate around it. But um, what about, um, have there any sort of um, external geopolitical or, I mean, has the pandemic um, uh, altered the process or altered the thinking around the audit? Um, I think, or, or the, is it, uh, yeah, well, I think, I think there's the, the, the bad relationship between the United States and China right now mm. is not making a deal very easy to do. Yeah. And uh, I have suspected that the U.S. has just simply been somewhat unwilling to do a deal. I think the people who are negotiating are negotiating in good faith and trying to reach a deal. I'm just not convinced that the U.S. will sign a deal with China right now, um, given some of the other issues that are out there. And uh, you know, I think China basically didn't really want to negotiate too hard with the U.S., given uh, Trump's trade war. And uh, they, right. they, I think China's been quite disappointed that uh, uh, that all of Trump's policies, anti-China policies, weren't reversed when Biden came in. Uh, Biden has instead continued uh, all of the China policies, basically that Trump had done. I think Ukraine yeah. it creates a whole new new set of issues. You know, right, China right. has uh, China is allied with Russia. And uh, the uh, and I, although China, I think, is trying very hard not to uh, 
uh, not to, to create a problem with that. It, it, there's a risk that uh, uh, I think uh, China will, uh, uh, w- that, that basically China, China's support for Russia could, could make it difficult for, politically difficult to, uh, uh, to do a deal with China. Do you think, um, and this is uh, more of a, like a 50,000 foot question, do you think there is a fundamental difference between the U.S. and China when it comes to financial disclosures, um, or are they basically on the same page? I think the, uh, well, when I look at the uh, uh, accounting for Chinese companies that are listed in the United States, I'd say it's probably comparable to the financial reporting is pretty much comparable to uh, what you see with, with similar peer companies in the U.S. I think the quality is actually pretty good. I think the auditors are trying to do quite a good job. Uh, I think there, there, there have been a number of low-quality companies uh, that have come to market uh, from China to the U.S., and, and many of those had, uh, had fraud in them. A lot of them came to market as re- through the reverse merger route before right. the exchanges shut that down, and uh, they were unprepared for being a public company. Uh, and didn't have much respect for their public shareholders and just wanted the prestige of being a public company without really the responsibilities. Uh, the, uh, I, I think generally the auditors, I think, did get duped a lot early on in the process. I think one mm-hmm. of the problems that we had in China was that uh, China basically, uh, the auditors that came to China brought foreign audit methods with them. Uh, and so they audited companies like they would in the West. And but some of the assumptions that that, that underlined those audits, uh, such as separation of duties, uh, were based on a Western culture, not on a Chinese business culture. Hmm. And uh, what they were unaware of is how actually easy it is uh, in China to to uh, undermine uh, internal controls that deal with issues like uh like separation of duties. And I think auditors were also unprepared. One of the one of the classic frauds that we saw many of early on in the process was uh, false false cash balances. Yeah. Uh, you know, company wants to fake revenue. You got to put the uh, y- 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 that's a uh, a credit on the balance sheet. You got to put the debit someplace. You can't put it in accounts receivable because people age accounts receivable. Uh, so what do you want to put it is someplace where no one's going to really question it. Nobody ever questions a company for having too much cash. So right. they put it in cash. Uh, and then, of course, the audit procedure for cash is something you did your first day on the job as an auditor. Uh, you send out a bank confirmation. And if the bank confirmation comes back and says this is the balance, uh, then you uh, uh, you know the balance on the bank statement is the, is the actual balance that's in the bank. Uh, then you, uh, you you basically have got a good starting point for your entire audit. Well, what they found in China was that uh, quite often the CFO would have a very close relationship with the, uh, the bank manager. And he'd call up the <laughs> bank manager and he'd say, hey, I need you to, to do, me a, do me a solid. And, I, and right. what I want you to do is... Uh, uh, these guys, these auditors, these foreign auditors are going to send you a letter that's it's going to say, we have $50 million in our bank account. Uh, we, I just need you to sign that for me uh, because it's no big deal. You won't get in any trouble. Uh, it's just for the purposes of the foreign audit and foreign regulators. 
I know I've only got $5 million in my bank account, but if you could say I have 50 million, I'd really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the bank manager, it basically owes the guy a favor uh, because maybe he transferred his 5 million in sometime when the guy needed new, new money uh, yeah. to be his, uh, his KPI. Uh, and so I think the auditors were somewhat naively never realized that how easily that process would be corrupted. Uh, now, what they have learned in the years since, after experiencing a lot of these frauds, is that uh, you need to change your audit procedures based on the uh, environment that you're operating in, and they have. And so now they they are they're better at catching that kind of stuff, and uh, so we're not seeing it, those kinds of simple frauds. That said, we still see we still see frauds coming out of China, and mm-hmm. uh, the uh, uh, but. You know, I think they're they tend to be much more sophisticated than they were before. So, the last question I have for you is: I mean, obviously, you've been, as you said, at the beginning of this sort of um, complete upheaval of the Chinese economy and its integration into the the rest of the world, and especially its connection to the United States and and the capital flowing back and forth. And you you've seen so much. Um, what are your thoughts on the next five, 10 years? I mean, uh, are you hopeful, not as hopeful for more integration? What are your thoughts on that? I think we're at, we're at a real uh, threshold of, a, of potentially a huge change. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think if, uh, you know, China is starting to feel its oats, and that is it really wants to take a leadership position in the world, and it feels like the U.S. is holding it back. U.S. and Europe are holding it back. Uh, but China desperately needs the U.S. and Europe. Uh, they're the customers. And right. so you can't you can't have too big of a fight with your customers. So I think China would love to find a way uh, to calm those those uh, uh, those those fevers over uh, over China's rise. Uh, but it's going to be a real challenge. And I, I think uh, I think that working how well the our leaders are able to work through that challenge. Of, uh, of China's rise and uh, and the West moving into a uh, equal or secondary position to the Chinese economy is going to be really interesting to watch. Uh, so mm-hmm. I guess I'm and I've been really optimistic about China for the last 20 years. I'm less optimistic about the next 10 years and I'm less optimistic about the U.S.-China relationship uh, because I think it's going to continue to be quite challenging. But I'm hoping that that someone finds a way to work through some of this and find it uh, somehow of, a, of a, something of a competitive but cooperative relationship. Great. Those are my questions. I really appreciate you taking time. Thanks very much. You bet. Anytime. Anytime.